Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. It is the first Thursday of June, which means this episode is co-produced in partnership with the Austin Technology Council. The ATC is the largest tech industry organization in Central Texas that empowers members by using insights, resources, and connections for their members so that they can succeed and thrive. I am really proud of this partnership that we have created with the ATC to bring you interviews with their members because Austin... Austin is a hotbed of entrepreneurship, and I'm fortunate to live here. And so by partnering once a month and bringing you this special Austin Technology Council episode, we get to talk about what fuels entrepreneurs, but we also get to highlight the great city of Austin and the business community that we have. So I am really excited about today. And we are up to, in the world of cool things entrepreneurs do, episode number 465. I really am always amazed when I say how far we've come. As you know, if you're a regular listener of the show, I did this so that I could have access to some really smart people who were doing cool things, and I thought I would do 50 episodes. But what I've learned is that success leaves clues. And when you can get around really successful people, either in person or by listening to a podcast, they can't help it. They have to give you an idea, a theory, a nugget of information, something that's going to inspire you. And I'll tell you what, today is going to be one of those days. Today's guest is fabulous. I met her a few months ago. We were both at a conference. I was emceeing uh, sort of a a TED-style short talk program, and she was one of the people at this Culturati conference who was one of the experts talking about her business. And as you know, if you're a regular listener to the show— I believe deeply in mentorship. I mentor a couple of people. I never would have been able to create my podcast or my speaking career if it wasn't for people who had mentored me. And so when I heard about this company, The Mentor Method, and Janice Omadeki, I was blown away by what she's doing because she has really figured some stuff out to help big companies get their hands around. How do they get people assigned to mentors? So we're going to talk a lot about her company. We're going to talk about why mentors are important. But here's the thing. Janice isn't just a successful entrepreneur. She is a firecracker. She is doing stuff. This this woman is a mover and shaker, and I knew it within the first five minutes of meeting her that I wanted her on this show. And when the Austin Technology Council suggested her, I did a cartwheel because she is going to share some information with us today. So Janice, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom. i Wish we could find a way for you just to be next to me at every networking event <laughs> and just lead in with that everywhere. That was phenomenal. Thank you for such a warm welcome and thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. We, we could just record that and you could just have it like in a little uh, a little playback <laughs> where when people say, who are you? You can just go, blip. she's a firecracker. She's a mover and shaker. This is someone you got to know. It's Janice Omadeki. So. <laughs> Maybe that'll be my next startup. Maybe that'll be once the mentor method exits, you and I can talk about how we can build something around that. That's right. Audio introductions by Tom. There we go. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So Janice, I don't read like the bios that your PR people send and things like that. So I always like for people when they come on the show, why don't you tell us who is Janice? What makes you awesome? What's your background? And then tell us about the mentor method. 
Absolutely. So CEO and founder of The Mentor Method, which I'm excited to get into. But me as a person, um, recent Austin transplant, moved here from D.C., where I spent my entire life, really, uh, born and raised in the D.C. metro area. My background's in tech. I spent 10 years managing teams for Fortune 500 companies, predominantly in defense contracting. So a lot of the old boys club, um, a lot of great learning experiences there. Um, excited to have my top secret clearance expire last year. Dealt <laughs> with people a lot better because of that. Um, certified in entrepreneurship and MIT strategic management from the Harvard Extension School. PMP certified um, for the last eight years. Before I left, um, before I entered the Mentor Method full time last year and moved to Austin. I was a manager at PwC, where I spent three and a half years as one of the youngest managers in their marketing and sales division. Wow. So three and a half years at PwC, and then you walked away from that. Yes. You walked away from that to go to go launch this, this mentor method full time. What was that like? Because, I mean, we sort of grow up in a society that says, if you're one of the youngest managers at PwC, your future's made. You're, you're just going to get on that partnership track, and you're going to go, and, and yet you walked away. What was it like to take that jump? I did. You know, it was just time is what I'd say. Getting that opportunity several years ago, it was a blessing. It was a godsend. And I'm still so grateful to uh, the team that brought me on as a manager. However, it just came, there was an inflection point where I wasn't doing right by myself, by staying there and not pursuing the mentor method full time. And if I'm going to work somewhere, I want to make that I'm dedicating 100% of myself and my heart was no longer in it. So it just made sense. We were generating revenue. I got into the Mass Challenge Accelerator here in Austin. So it was really time for me to take on this new chapter and make sure that somebody else would take on that manager role and be equally as grateful as I was. So let's talk about that Mass Challenge uh, thing that, that brought you to Austin. Tell us about that program and, and how you ended up in it and, and what, what that meant to you and the company. How much time do we have? Because I could sing their <laughs> praises for days. Short, short answer. So short Mass answer. Challenge, <laughs> Mass Challenge is one of the top 20 accelerators in the country. And having gone to MIT's Global Entrepreneurship Bootcamp back in 2016, a lot of the companies that went through that then got into Mass Challenge and had seen success. And so this opportunity came up, applied, interviewed, and got in. And it really was life-changing. So out of 500 applicants, I believe they picked 80 startups. And then, so Mentor Method was one of those. And then over the course of four months, you just get connected to mentors and you're growing your business and all here in Austin, just doing the best that we can. Then we had finals judging where out of the 84, 16 businesses were then selected to pitch one more time, but we're the 16 finalists. So you pitch again, and then similar to the Oscars, we found out in front of 300 plus of our closest business acquaintances, which eight of the 16 were going to get funding and how much. And so the Mentor Method was one of the eight businesses to receive funding um, during that ceremony, which was amazing. God, that is so exciting. I mean, over 500 apply, 60 make it, 16 are selected, and then eight get funded. 
I mean, that's some validation for you as an entrepreneur and also and also for your company. So let's let's talk a little bit about the company. What is the mentor method and, and why out of out of that giant pool of, of companies did you end up in, in in the top tier? What what's the company all about? So the mentor method, we're a B2B SaaS platform that helps companies keep their talent using the proven power of mentorship. So we looked at the online dating model where you can put in what you want out of your future, your personality, what you're looking for in a partner, et cetera, and thought, hmm, well, if you can do that for a random date on Bumble or whatever other <laughs> site for companionship, why are we still matching people to mentors internally by just demographics. And so took the online dating model, configured that for internal corporate mentorship. As I mentioned before, my background's in tech. So I built a patent pending algorithm that removed the bias in mentorship, matching based on personality, industry, and skill set. And then there's a framework focused on professional development for four months. And all the while, our buyers, who are usually chief talent officers, heads of HR, heads of employee resource groups, get data and reporting to help them make better business decisions and justify needing to increase their budget to their CFO and senior leadership. So I got a couple of questions. In terms of why we want. I I, want to back up a step because you said something that's very interesting and I know is very true. And you said that is the the way corporations have done this for years is just sort of matched people up. And, And I've often said that corporate mentorship programs often fail because they're saying, oh, look, you know, Mary's an African-American woman and Sally's an African-American woman. We'll pair them up. Uh, and maybe they have nothing else in, in common. And also, you brought up the word of bias when it comes to that mentorship. So I want to dive into sort of just the plain matching and the bias and what that really means, because I think you're on to something really important. Thank you. I 100% agree. But that's just the story of my life. I mean, part of the reason I started the mentor method was because of that. Being in tech, the diversity numbers speak for themselves and that they are non-existent. <laughs> and oftentimes, if I would sign up for corporate mentorship, they'd be like, great, Janice, woman of color, let's match you to the only woman of color on you know, a 200-person team because that's all you really need to get on with somebody, with someone. And <laughs> that's not enough. And yes, I lucked out. You know, A handful of my mentors that I met um, through corporate mentorship were still in communication, but that was a fluke. If you're just matching people based on the way they look, that's not sustainable. And that's not validating any sort of compatibility or chemistry or the willingness to communicate with each other. It's just watering down employees to being checkboxes. And really, when you're matching somebody to a mentor or a mentee, you're saying, there's something about you that I see in this other person. And especially as somebody that's getting mentored, by somebody more senior, you're saying, this is the career I think you're going to have. This is the type of leader I see you being. This is where I see you fitting into the company. And so if there's a misalignment between that mentee and their personality and their goals and the person you're matching them to, they're naturally going to say, okay, cool. This company doesn't understand who I am. So let me start applying elsewhere where I might be a better fit. So I, I do think that's fascinating. So I have two gentlemen who I mentor, and they've both been part of my life now for seven years. In fact, I talk about them a lot on the show. They, they, they came up with a nickname for me over the years. They call me Dad. Uh, I actually told them that Cool Older Brother was a way better nickname, but that didn't, <laughs> that, that, that didn't stick. Now, we don't work in the same industries, and they both found me 
they found me sort of organically. Like I met one of them in a coffee shop and we stuck up a conversation and I helped him with something and he took me out for a drink to say thank you because it was very helpful. Uh, the other one, his professor had introduced us and when he moved to Austin, we stayed in touch. But they've become friends. But I've really, and you know, they've made job changes and they're both kind of kicking butt in their careers and they give a lot of credit to the fact that they had someone who they could relate to, even though I come from a different industry, where you know, they felt safe to be able to tell me what's going on. If they have a problem with their boss or if they're going to ask for a raise or if the new job is, you know, if they have to negotiate their salary, they have someone they can trust that they can be fully open to. And I think in a lot of these programs that have existed inside companies, a lot of people, it, not everybody gets to that level of trust just because you work for the same company and you were assigned. So right. how do you get people when it's internal? How do you get people to sort of you know, I, I guess we compare it back to dating. You could set two people up and they could have a nice dinner. You set two other people up and they get married and have five kids. You know, where's the delta in helping them establish that relationship so that there's trust? Absolutely. So within, and I think that's a really good point, actually, in terms of needing that chemistry and not necessarily needing somebody who is in the same line of service or the same um the same role or a future role that you'd like to have, but really focusing more on, do you want to see this person again? Is there something about them that you want to learn from overall as a leader over saying, okay, well, I think that my natural path is engineer to head of product to VP of engineering, for example. The way that the mentor method solves for that is through our algorithm. The fact that it's blind and the fact that it's more focused on personality and the direction in which you'd like to take your career and less about the titles of the types of mentors you want to connect with or the lines of service in which you're a part of, but really focusing on who you are as a person and where your transferable skills relate to a future within that company has been the big differentiator and why we have so many customers that keep coming back and we're getting the success stories of promotions and savings on retention. So Janice, I think that you're really on to all of this. It just has me so excited, the direction that you've taken. My next question, though, just to shift gears, how do we get the mentor to know what to do? That's the biggest question I get from people because I have this relationship with these two guys. They're like, I'd love to mentor people, but where do I even start? Yes, that is a question that we faced early on. I think that so many people focus on the mentee or just being in a mentor relationship, not actually knowing what to do. And so with the mentor method, we within our software, after you're matched to your top three matches in our software, both mentees and mentors have their own separate mentoring 101. So on the mentor side, it's going over roles and responsibilities. It's going over how to make yourself available communication-wise, what's realistic, and really how to determine what works best for you and your mentee, because not every relationship is going to be the same, right? So some people need to meet once a week in order for them to accomplish a goal over, say, four to six months. Other people really just need to touch base with you and have that accountability once a month. But recognizing that the relationship really has to be tailored for the two people. And it can't just be mentorship in a box, one size fits all, but providing those parameters on what is realistic, what actually defines being a good mentor, what mentoring is not, um, and making sure that they understand 
how to show up has been very beneficial in our software. So I think that's great. I think the other thing that, that, that we tell people all the time is that in the early stages of that relationship, the mentee has to drive that relationship after you've figured out the parameters. The mentee has to drive it because what I remember with both of these guys is now I can, if I haven't heard from them in a while, I'll text them or call them and say what's going on. But early on when I just met them and they had said, would you be my mentor? If I didn't hear from them, I couldn't call them and go, hi, I'd love to mentor you today. So the mentee sort of has to drive that boat. 100%. I think the mentee needs to drive the relationship. Even when you're that comfortable, I think it's still... Yeah, it becomes, you know, symbiotic and you can both reach out and touch base. But the mentee really does drive that relationship, especially early on with sending the agenda ahead of time, asking for the meeting, figuring out what works best for both you and the mentor so that you're able to get the most out of that relationship. I also think one thing that people don't talk about, oftentimes mentorship can start to look like it just it tends to become imbalanced where the mentee is just absorbing and taking from the mentor and the mentor feels as though it's their responsibility to just give 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 but it can actually be it can be played both ways where both people are giving and taking and delivering value to one another professionally in a way that is beneficial for both so for example if so when I was 25 um, and I had first started working at PwC or was about to start working at PwC, there was a professional mentor outside of um, my place of employment that I connected with. And this guy was in the C-suite, had nothing to do with graphic design was phenomenal human being. And I, I liked the way in which he carried himself and the way he was able to manage teams for these professional associations and such. But at that point, I was borderline entry level, um, had just started to make you know enough money to be able to live on my own and things. So I wasn't in a position where I can take them out to dinner or coffees every week or anything. But I was able to deliver value since he had recently moved from Chicago to the DC metro area, being able to send him a list of attractions that he and his kids can go to and things that are available within his neighborhood, like good restaurants and such, just to be able to deliver value as he's transitioning from being in Chicago all the way here to the, or all the way into the DC metro area. And that ended up being a pretty fair exchange, being able to get him acclimated to the city while I'm getting acclimated to prepping for my job as a manager at PwC. So Absolutely. it was great. But the point is try to figure out a way to deliver value to both. And I think sometimes mentees forget to ask how they can help the mentors as well. Absolutely. And I always make the comment that while it may not be equal, I always say I learn as much from them as they learn from me because, you know, they've, they've sort of included me in the, in their social circle. I went to a concert with them and hung out with their friends. And it really kind of exposed me to a lot of what these 30-year-olds were doing and thinking and, and things like that. And it makes me a better speaker. And the other thing is they've both referred me to companies that they've worked for or to their friends who work in companies to go in and do my training uh, for the companies if they're That's having great. if they're having like a sales kickoff or a team meeting. And so they've actually referred me to businesses by saying, hey, oh, you're doing this thing. I know someone 
who you should really look at. And so I think that those are the things, too, that, you know, the, the mentee has to remember. It doesn't have to be equal, but when you do it, the mentor is thrilled. I mean, it's, you know, anytime you can provide some sort of value, either in work or personal life, uh, that's a win for everybody. Absolutely. And I, you hit on a really good point, the fact that mentorship is almost like therapy. You learn so much just from helping this other person accomplish their goals. It's phenomenal. I think in terms of what you get from mentorship, people often think, okay, well, I'm just going to give to this person. But you really do receive a lot just from reflecting on your own career and hearing their own experiences and watching this person evolve in well, however had, way that you're contributing. I've had some friends who are like, you, you give a lot of time to these guys. Why do you do that? You know, you got your own kids. Why, why, why are you, you know, why, why do you serve in this role? And part of it is we've developed a friendship. I mean, they're, they are two of my closer friends, yeah. even though we have this mentor-mentee role and I'm 20 years older. You know, in, in a way, if you do this right, you become friends. Like my, my wife invited them both to Father's Day. The, uh, last year and one of them came and it was funny because the other one was like I would have come if I knew he was coming and I said but you went home and saw like your dad or your stepdad and he goes I totally would have blown that off and come with your family and I'm like no no I think you're supposed to go to your own family if you have that option but uh, but we have developed that level of friendship so I think mentorship transcends like we said in the beginning sort of box checking so I, I want to shift oh, 100%. gears I want to shift gears here and I want to get back to the idea of entrepreneurship and so if somebody was looking at leaving their corporate job and starting their own company and they have an idea and maybe they've got it on the side like you did, what advice do you have for somebody who wants to take that leap? Make sure you have at minimum a year's worth of expenses covered in savings. That's, I that's could have advice. easily taken the mentor method full time sooner. Um, we were generating revenue. We had customers who we were gaining traction. I had been in another accelerator previously, but I wanted to make sure that I didn't subscribe to the romanticism around quitting your job and living in a box and eating ramen and <laughs> suffering in the name of your business. I think that makes for a great um, a great anecdote when you've already exited five times and now. That's something you'll never have to worry about. But realistically, for most people, and looking at the statistics of the number of businesses that um, don't make it past the four-year mark, it was important for me to be able to have enough money so that any business decision I made was made out of the betterment of the business and keeping our stakeholders in mind versus desperation. Mm -hmm. well, so definitely save up at least a year. I think oh, that's I think that's great advice. I think that's important to have that money in the Thank bank because it takes longer. What I learned starting my business is I thought it would take me two years to regain what I was making in corporate America, and it took my, more like three or four. It always takes twice as long. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I'm grateful, you know, coming from that manager position that, you know, saving up was very great, um, very helpful. But what other advice would I have? So save as much as you can. I agree with you. Think about your timeline and add at least 18 months to it um, for most for most things. Be aggressive in getting to those goals, but don't beat yourself up if it takes an extra you know, six, six to 18 months to get there. Be married to the problem more than you are the solution. I've seen a lot of founders, um, especially, especially if you haven't taken the jump to full time yet, 
your product, your service, whatever business you're building is going to change rapidly, especially when you become full-time because the amount of mental energy you had going towards your full-time job is now directly focused on making your business work. So if you come in with a mindset of, nope, this is exactly the business that it's going to be for the next 20 years and I can't change anything, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I think being fluid in, it's true, being fluid in the way in which you're solving that problem is much more important um, early on. Um, make sure that it's a viable business. Like before you take the jump, make sure it's a viable business. Look at the market, look at the numbers, look at projections, look at your team, just make sure that at least for me, um, being, you know, having my program manager certification and coming from PwC, um, I took a very realistic approach to when to leave my full time job. So just make sure that you're jumping into something that you know, has room to grow, and that you know, your product can actually expand within. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, I mean, there's just, there's so much advice <laughs> that I would give in that, in that area, That's but right. I think those were the big ones. Hey, I have another question for you, but, or a couple more questions, sure. but before I get there, I've got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, it's brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Janice. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Janice, this episode is co-produced with the Austin Technology Council, and you moved here with your company a while back to, to, to do the accelerator and then to, to launch the company full, full force. Why Austin? What makes Austin awesome for entrepreneurs? Austin, well, I mean, in a nutshell, it is awesome for entrepreneurs, and I didn't know. So I had been, when I applied to Mass Challenge, I had gone to South by Southwest once before as an ambassador for the DC economic partnership. And so I just thought Austin was an amazing city, but I wanted, I had a hunch that it would be a good place to live, but I needed to see it outside of the conference and the festival. <laughs> yeah. and South everything. by South, South by Southwest um, is its own world. Yeah. It's, 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 it's own, it's its own <laughs> ecosystem. Not a true depiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, People actually sleep here in Austin. Um, <laughs> yes, th 51 but, other weeks of the year, people do take <laughs> take their sleep. Exactly. Um, so when I got into Mass Challenge, it gave me this unique opportunity to still have my home in um, the D.C. metro area, but be here and sort of test the environment. And I was blown away by all that Austin had from for entrepreneurship as well as just founder psychology. So being in the HR tech space, I mean, we have Indeed, which paves the way for so many HR tech companies. And I would be remiss um, to not try to take on um, being in the same space. You know, I'm a big fan of the company, a big fan of um, their founders and leadership. So that was a big draw as well. Having so many Fortune 1000 companies located here 
was a big draw for us since we're enterprise SaaS. It just makes sense. And also it's easier to get in-person meetings in Austin with the right people. Um, a lot of heads of diversity and inclusion and HR and talent management people, et cetera, insert synonym for um, similar roles. But a lot of the senior leadership in those important and critical roles are based here in Austin. So it's really easy for us to be able to say, okay, 10 a.m. meeting in the domain with this company, and then we'll walk across the street to this company and then drive just four miles or, you know, a 15 minute drive downtown to meet with two other companies. And that's almost borderline impossible in the DC metro area, especially since being in the DC metro area, a lot of it's like lobbying and policy and areas where the mentor method isn't as applicable and the decision maker isn't as easily accessible. So for us, it just made sense from a sales partnership perspective. Um, from a founder psychology side, I think that's really important and something that people don't necessarily think about. You know, people always sort of talk about the grind and keeping busy and working hard, which is true. You need to work hard, but you also need to be able to take care of yourself. Otherwise, you're really not delivering value to your customers, your team, your investors. So Austin has been phenomenal in helping build just a more solid founder psychology space. I'm meeting so many dynamic entrepreneurs that have taught me how to have more balance. Um, not necessarily the perfect balance, but some semblance of balance and like a normal life um, whenever I can. And people that really understand what it's like to be in the ring and being in that lightweight, welterweight, range and just learning how to bob and weave and all of these things so yeah i think it's just for me it's sales and growth but also having a good group of fellow founders that really understand and another thing i've found about austin because austin's you know if you look at the demographic we're a young person's town the average age is somewhere around the early, yeah. early 30s or something like that but it's been that way i've lived in austin 28 years and when I moved here, the average age was like 29 years old. So it's we have continuously drawn, partially because of the University of Texas, partially because of South by Southwest, and partially because of the cool factor. We've continuously drawn the best and the brightest from around the country to come here and be part of sort of the growth of the tech community here. But the thing I've found in Austin compared to a lot of cities I travel in, because I'm, I'm away from home 120 nights a year, uh, you know, at companies and at conferences speaking. However, what I've found about Austin is – it doesn't matter. It's not as clicky, if you will, as some other cities. People, if you're the founder of a startup that has venture backing, you're willing to talk to someone who works at Dell in a middle management role if you run into them at an event. Uh, same thing is true across the age levels. One of the things I talk about a lot is cross-generational networking because so often you go to some sort of a conference and you can just scan the room and you'll see the baby boomers, the silver grays are all kind of standing together, the, 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 mid, the mid-level people in their mid-40s and 50s all kind of clump and then the younger generation does. In Austin, I see a lot more mixing of that, which I think is really good because mm -hmm. it leads to more of that mentorship that we both are very fond of. Also, I think that's just the general way to be a contributing member to society. <laughs> like talk be to less everybody, clicky. treat everybody with, 
yeah, just treat everybody with the same level of respect. You don't know their story. They might be able to motivate you and teach you something. You might be able to motivate and teach them something. Just be open to speaking to everyone. I, I don't subscribe to to that clickiness at all. In fact, it repels me. So <laughs> that is a bonus of Austin. I think that contributes to that founder psychology where there's just more authenticity and willingness to collaborate and communicate regardless of stage or influence or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with the mentor method right now? We have some exciting product updates that I cannot wait for our customers to see. We've been listening to them. We have heard the cries um, for some new techniques and some new tech behind what we've built. They've already really happy but just listening to the extents of R&D and what can make them even happier um, we've now set up the ability to see your top three matches so before at the mentor method you would get your best match and people love that and 90% of our matches are still in communication two years later however now we've we're now letting our users both mentees and mentors see their top three matches and then be able to communicate with them and decide which match is best for them. So giving them more ownership of the relationship and allowing them to decide the best course of action there. Um, that's probably the most public change that I can share right now. But if you'd like to see more and get a demo, please reach out to me. Sure. And how do people <laughs> find you? We're, we're really excited. How, how do um, people reach out to you? Email me. Email me. So Janice, J-A-N-I-C-E at thementormethod.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Janice Omadecki. Find us via um, via the web, so www.thementormethod.com, and would love to connect. Awesome. So we could talk about you and your company and Austin and the Austin Technology Council all day long. We could go for hours because this is this is fascinating stuff and it's a fascinating town and and what you're doing is very important, especially it totally aligns with what I teach and I believe. However. We only have so much time. So the last couple of questions that I ask everybody who comes on the show, the first one is when you look out at the world of entrepreneurs, the entrepreneur sphere, who is it that you admire that you look at and you say, wow, she or he, they're doing the cool stuff. It depends on the space in diversity and inclusion. My advisor, Kimberly Strong, is a force to be reckoned with. Candy Castleberry at Twitter is someone that I hold such an abundance of respect for it as well, the way in which they're championing for fellow chief diversity officers and just diversity in tech and otherwise is just phenomenal. Um, in terms of entrepreneurship, I mean, there are so many people that I respect and admire. Are you talking about Austin specifically or just? Just whoever comes to mind, just somebody that you say, wow, they're, uh, they're cool. Arlen Hamilton Arlen is someone, so um, the creator of Backstage Capital, our first investor, uh, she actually raised her fund while she was homeless. And I think the willingness to put and have the vision to support underrepresented founders before herself is just astounding. And I'm thrilled and honored to be a part of the first 100 portfolio companies and just the way in which she's still championing for underrepresented founders and professionals on a daily basis. Um, she's fighting the good fight and she's 
you know, doing the work and supporting us beyond just, beyond just saying it. So love Arlen That's awesome. to death um, That's awesome. and the work that she's done. That's awesome. I love asking that question because I get everything from Elon Musk to my local dry cleaner to everything in between, uh, <laughs> which, which also leads me to the last question. And I love this one too, because the answers are always so diverse and there's no wrong answers. But I think as entrepreneurs, we have to do more than just make money and exit our companies. I, I think there's right. a responsibility to somehow give back to the greater good. And I talk about this once in a while. It's been a while since I have, so I'll say it here. When I became a professional speaker over 10 years ago, uh, my wife and I decided that we were going to give just a small percentage of every single client uh, to, to what became two. It started as one, two funds for research for children born with craniofacial abnormalities. Because 17 years ago, our youngest child was born and she had to have her entire skull rebuilt in order to ensure that she wouldn't have brain damage and that she wouldn't have sort of cosmetic issues that would cause her to be teased and, and everything else. So she had to go oh through mass. Gosh. Yeah, it was, as I always say, it was not fun. She is now going into her senior year of high school. She's a straight A student. Uh, they reshaped her head. It looks more like a cantaloupe than a watermelon. They did a great job. Uh, but we were very fortunate. And when you're fortunate, you have to find a way to give back. And so we started just mm -hmm. every time I speak, we give just a couple percentage points to these funds at Children's Hospital of San Diego, where Kate was operated on, and Dell Children's Hospital here in Austin, which didn't exist when Kate was born. But if it did, we wouldn't have had to have traveled for the surgery. We would have had the best doctors in the country right here. And over the years, between what we've donated uh, what some of our friends and my clients have donated, uh, it's risen to over seventy thousand dollars between the the two uh, the, the the two hospitals. And in fact, I did a TEDx talk last year called "The Art of Giving Small." How you don't have to be a Bill Gates to have an impact; you just have to, you nope. know, find your cause. So, what do you do to serve the greater good? So, a couple things. First off. That's amazing, and I can't wait to hear more about this um, outside of this podcast. Um, I think it's so important to give and continue giving, even if you're not in a position where you can write, you know, thousand dollar checks. Oh, but yeah, no, it was fifty. So, it was fifty dollar checks and thirty dollar checks and a hundred dollar yeah, checks. That's so important. But over, over ten think years, that you can only give like massive checks versus just a little bit every day. So, okay, but to answer your question, there are two folds to it from a personal perspective. Let's get into that first. So I am first-generation American from the Congo. And so my parents immigrated here in the 70s. And I am fully aware of the privilege that comes from that. We didn't grow up with a lot of money. We still grew up with modest means. But it beats the heck out of being in a third-world nation where to this day you might have electricity and you might not. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've always had that grateful mind and like the willingness to give. So growing up, you know, around Christmas time, we would always like donate our clothes to our cousins overseas, you know, and my parents would like save up the pictures that were mailed over. And this was like 80s and 90s. So the pictures that were mailed over and then around Christmas, we would look at them and like be able to see like, oh, my gosh, they're celebrating Christmas and, you know, exciting Christmas outfits because we donated. Right. So that was some like I just always grew up with that understanding that even if you're giving away something that you didn't necessarily need anymore, it's still impacting someone else's life, right? That's so, so true. Um, so on like a personal level, you know, I'm still giving back wherever I can. Right now, it's more time and guidance um, than financial, just because 
you know, we're still growing the business. I'm not in a position for that right now. But um, on a larger scale, especially here in Austin, the philanthropy has been phenomenal. Let's add that for another reason why I love Austin. So whether it's going with a church and handing out, you know, coffee and bagels and doing fellowship under the I-35 bridge or, uh, you know, volunteering at one of the homeless shelters down by um, East 6th or West 6th and contributing there. It's just been, I don't know if I'm answering the question to the full extent, but I do believe in the power of giving, even if it's, even if it's minute. And those are the ways in which I try to contribute from a professional perspective on Fridays, I set aside two hours a day um, and I call them quote unquote office hours, but really because of the public speaking that I do and where people can find us, oftentimes, if you were saying, there's a line of young professionals that want advice in their careers or mentorship or otherwise. And so I set up two hours every Friday for people just to pick up like 30 minutes and be able to get just this concentrated amount of advice and coaching and just detailed attention because I remember what it was like being a young professional and not having that advice and help and getting sick and tired of just Googling or looking mm-hmm. up at career blogs for those things. So I think it's important to give back wherever you can, whether it's time, whether it's sharing your experiences, whether it's reviewing resumes or being able to monetarily give back. Um, I think as long as you're contributing without needing something back is really, really what's important. See, and I knew that I knew when I met you, I knew that you were one of those people who just had that sort of engraved ingrained in you. You could see that giving spirit. So you're one of those people as your business grows and your finances grow, it'll be amazing to see how you contribute because I, I knew it when I met you that you had a giver's soul. And I'm not kidding around when I said, if you said who was one of the top five people you met this year, even before I knew you were going to be on the show this week, I would have said, I met this woman at Culturati who I literally said, wow, this person is going somewhere. So uh, I, I, I picked you out of a crowd, you know, six, four months ago and said that person, she's one of the ones to watch here in Austin. So I still believe that that is true. So thank you so much for agreeing to be here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do on this special co-produced episode with the Austin Technology Council. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Hey, and thanks to everybody who listened. I said it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So thank you for tuning in. If you like the show, go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you subscribe. Maybe leave a comment. Uh, Find me on social media everywhere at Tom Singer, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R. And let me know that you heard this episode and that you liked it. And then tell a friend because the number one way people tell me that they found this podcast who are regular listeners is they say that someone who they know told them to check it out. So be sure to tell your friends about cool things entrepreneurs do. We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Janice. I know you're thinking that's impossible. She's the coolest, but every single week we find somebody new. Uh, But in the meantime, challenge yourself, go out there, try something new. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.